listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. So good morning. My name is William, as I might have missed saying. (laughs) And I serve as a missionary among Muslims and uh, whoever the Lord leads in our way. I'm going to read today from Luke 11, 29 through 36. And this is actually the first time my eyes have seen the words this morning. So I am uh, going to read them and hopefully not mess any of them up. Here we go. So if you want to read along, Luke 11, 29 to 36. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to this people of Nineveh, to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, William. Chad Greer made a recommendation in our last uh, board meeting. He said, uh, you know, in, in the next few years to come, let's, uh, let's plan on doing a, an, an Israel trip and opening it up to the congregation. And uh, I think that's cool. I've had the opportunity to go, and I think you would enjoy going. And one of those stops along the way is Bethlehem. And I guarantee you one place we'll go in Bethlehem, the Foo-Foo Bakery. (laughs) Amen. I got to know about some Foo-Foo Bakery, okay? (laughs) Hey, we love the Hernandez family, and we're so thankful that they're here with us. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and give you, uh, uh, I know y'all are all on your phones all the time anyway. I get it. So, at the end, we're going to give you an opportunity to give directly to them through their website. Now, we'll have someone who will, uh, who, who will take up if you say, I just have cash. That's cool. We'll do that too. Or you want to write a check, that's fine. But if you want to give directly to them, hlgiving.com is Healing Lamplight is their ministry, giving.com. From hlgiving.com on your phone, there's like one click that says donate, and then it's a place where you can give through PayPal or through, a, uh, through your debit card or credit card, however you want to do that. Listen, 
This family is worthy of our participation, of our investment. They've proven that year after year. Um, they are not yet one of our missionaries, but we drag our feet here at Oasis Church. I'm just telling you, they are, they are friends of ours doing God's work, and eventually they will be one of ours. But still, we want to be able to bless them and, uh, and keep their family on the road doing what God's called them to do. So we're thankful that they can be here with us today. So, it may be a long time since you were in middle school. It feels like a while. I just celebrated my 30th uh, high school reunion, you know, and, and that seems like a long time between graduation and today. And so, that means just a few more years would have put me back in middle school. Some of y'all are sitting out there going, children, that's okay. I will get there eventually. Middle school has a way of like flattening the curve. I mean, everybody is awkward. Everyone is trying to figure it out, and most everyone has not figured it out. But if you get a bunch of middle school boys out on the basketball court during recess, inevitably one of them will say, I can hit this shot every time from this distance every time. And you'll usually have that followed up by another middle schooler that says, oh yeah? And then there's two more words. Prove it. Oh yeah? Prove it. And that's where the gauntlet is laid down. But when someone is standing out there from that spot, draining them. One after another. Just keep feeding me the ball. I'll keep putting it in the goal. Just keep, keep feeding me and I'm going to keep making the shot. Over and over again, it seems silly for someone to come out and go, oh yeah, prove it. That's what I've been doing now for the last 20 minutes. It's kind of what we see today in this scripture that we're going to be looking at. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Luke is, is going to use these next several chapters to show his travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. Even though Jesus is all over the place chronologically, he's showing the, the move from the Galilean ministry primarily in the beginning of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry. And now that, that move toward Jerusalem where he will be rejected betrayed, crucified, and then on the third day he will be raised from the dead. That's his purpose. That's his mission. That's where he's headed. He has set his gaze. He has made up his mind that that's where he's headed. That's where he's going. And we've seen in this chapter already how that uh, just last week as Jesus is is healing a man that's possessed by a demon that, that Luke says has made him unable to talk. He's mute. Matthew seems to indicate that not only was he mute, but he was also blind. And Jesus casts out this demon. The religious leaders, the religious authorities who have heard about Jesus' ministry... They have heard the things that he's taught firsthand. They have seen the works he's done firsthand. And, and they're not happy with Jesus. Jesus is refusing to embrace their order. Jesus is refusing to come under their authority and to teach with their blessing. Jesus just showed up teaching like he knows God personally. And is not needing any human 
accolades or certifications? Well, we know the end of the story. We know that in fact, Jesus is God the Son, eternally uh, uh, equal with the Father and the Spirit, yet uniquely different. The second person of a three-person God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, and the Son put on flesh so that he might relate to us completely and fully with one exception. Jesus did not possess sin, and so therefore Jesus never sinned. But in all other ways, Jesus was completely and fully human, just like you and I. And so now Jesus is on the scene representing the the ministry of the Father, representing the purpose that had been laid out from the very beginning. Jesus bringing things that God had promised through prophets and through priests and through kings. Now Jesus is bringing those things to fulfillment. And he's preaching a message of the kingdom. God's promised kingdom is at hand. It's ready to be revealed. It is right here in your presence. You can reach out and touch it. Because the inaugurator of the kingdom is Messiah. The inaugurator of the kingdom is Jesus. Born of the virgin, raised in Nazareth, and now ministering about a year and a half in. And so Jesus is preaching, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is healing, Jesus is breaking and feeding, Jesus is doing things that no one can explain. And because the works are obvious, these religious leaders that that came into contact with him are trying their best to discredit what Jesus is doing. Our world and the folks that, that we come into contact with deny the works. They say those things aren't real. That Bible's a bunch of fables. That's, those, are, those are not things that a person can do. Walk on water. Are you kidding me? Uh, feed 5,000 plus, probably three times that many with a little sack lunch. Those things are ridiculous. They could never happen. That's what our world is saying. They're denying the events. But the rejectors in Jesus's world couldn't deny the events because they were seeing them with their own eyes. So all they could do was try to discredit Jesus. And so they're biggest detractor, their biggest effort to detract from what Jesus was doing was to lay on him that his power was coming from Satan. And so Jesus is communicating with these these rejectors, and and we saw last week how he used logic, how, how he used the ridiculousness of the fact that if I'm being empowered by Satan and I'm casting out Satan, then Satan's got a pretty bad strategy. He's defeating himself, and that's not right. But if what I am doing is actually of the finger of God, if it's the work of God, then you have to admit that the kingdom is present. It's with you it's here and I'm the one that is bringing it to play and so Jesus is having this this interaction with these detractors and there comes a point where he basically leaves them speechless and then Luke tells us in verse number 20 uh, verse number 29 that when the crowds were increasing 
So we had this little dust up with those that are here. And now more folks are coming. More folks are hearing. No doubt when Jesus began to go toe-to-toe with these experts in the law that people were running back into the villages and saying, it's on. Jesus is, he's now face-to-face with them. They're having it out. Y'all need to come see. And the crowds are building and the ears are becoming more and more. And so now Jesus has a number of people around and he's going to take a very strong stand. Now he'll take stronger stands as we continue that journey toward the cross. But right here, Jesus begins to speak very pointedly at those who are knowingly rejecting him. You say, no, what do you mean knowingly? Meaning they know exactly who he is. If they know their scripture, and they do, they know he crosses off all the check boxes. They know that he qualifies for the one coming as Messiah. He's just preaching a message that's putting them in the crosshairs, and they don't like it. And so now they've decided to reject him knowing what they knew. Jesus makes this very strong argument in the face of now many who are around. And and again, I have to be real careful. I love to read the scripture and I love to think that Jesus, when he speaks strongly, that he speaks sarcastically. Because a lot of times that's what I do. I get, you know, I, oh, oh, okay, we're going to argue about this. Well, then I turn up the volume and I turn up the sarcasm too. Because if, if I can't make a point that you'll uh, eventually submit to, well, then I'm going to sarcasm you into feeling like, why did I ever start an argument with this man? Ask my wife. She suffered through that for nearly 26 years. And i got to be careful that I don't put that on Jesus, because Jesus didn't do that. Now, Jesus might have been sarcastic, but it would have never been in a wicked way, which is what comes from my heart, wicked sarcasm. But I have to be careful, but Jesus does not cater to these individuals. Here's what he says. This generation is an evil generation. Wow. What did he come out of the gate swinging? I mean, there's not much more that you can say other than you all are a bunch of evil individuals. Because that's basically what he's saying. And he's in the presence of those who are revered as the theological authorities of the land. And he's calling them evil. This generation was wicked because they were wildly religious but refused the truth. They had all kinds of of pious rituals that they went through. Oh, they prayed at all the right times. They were at all of the right convocations and services. They they didn't have anything out of order in their home. They didn't have any of the wrong spices touching each other. They had everything cleaned and spotless and and everything was just like it was supposed to be. And and they said the things and, and, and really impressed one another with their knowledge. Jesus is not talking about their religiosity. Man, that was off the scale. The problem was is they were more religious than they were faithful. They were, they were wildly moral, but they were 
unwilling to receive truth. Matthew 25, 27, I'll have it for you to read, but Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees and the scribes specifically, and he says, you know what you guys are like? You're like a bunch of whitewashed graves. What that means is you're like a bunch of, of tombs that have been painted all nice and decorated, and, and you look beautiful on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. What's truly in you is rotting. You break away a little bit of that earth and you'll smell the rot that's in you. I can see it. He says this generation has has embraced all types of piety and morality, but they're being unwilling to believe and you folks are leading the way. And so Jesus continues and he says this generation not only is evil, but it seeks for a sign. Now, if we go back to last week, I didn't really highlight it last week. Uh, but when, when the, some were saying, I know how he's doing these things. He's doing these things through the power of Beelzebul. You remember that was the, you know, a kind of folklore of an ancient pagan deity that had kind of come to represent the prince of demons that we know of as Satan. While some of them were saying that, there were others, and, and, and I, I, didn't, I didn't really mention it a lot. It said, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So here's what's happening. Some of them are going, Satan's empowering. He's got the, 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 he's got power comes from the devil. He's from Beelzebub. And others were going, well, you know, Jesus, if they're not telling the truth, you could take a minute to prove it. What were they asking for Jesus to do? They were asking for Jesus to do something that they laid out for him to do. So we're satisfied, and this is always happening. You know, every time somebody says to Jesus, well, if we could just see a sign, it's almost always on the heels of Jesus doing something supernatural. It's like, what's the matter with this sign that I just did? Why do you need another one? Well, we, what we would like to see you do is could you make the moon go back? See, we wouldn't be able to deny that. Well, sure you would. If, if you'll deny that this one has been set free from the demon, you'll deny it if I move the moon, if I change the constellations. But that's what they were. Do something that no one can deny. What you're asking for me to do is to dance to the beat of your drum. You're asking me to do what you want me to do in order to prove that I am who I am. I don't have to prove to you anything. I am who I am. And God has been demonstrating through me everything you need to see. I don't need to do anything else. And that's what he says. This generation's seeking a sign. They, they, they're constantly wanting me to do something else to prove that I am who I say I am. But no sign is going to be given to them. I'm, no signs for you. I'm not giving you any more signs except this one. The sign of Jonah. Now what Luke doesn't do is get into the, the details of the Jonah story. In, in Matthew chapter number 12, uh, we see that, that Matthew recalls Jesus saying the sign of Jonah was that even as Jonah was in the belly of the fish 
for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the center of the earth or the heart of the earth for three days, and then he would rise. So basically, Jesus was saying, the same kind of way that Jonah was dead, even though he wasn't, but, you know, he would have been figured to have been dead. Even the way Jonah was dead, I'm going to be dead, and the sign you're going to get is me coming from the grave. And that ought to be enough, but isn't it interesting that the resurrection is really hard to disprove in this culture, yet so many people claim that it's just a fable only because someone on the History Channel with a lot of capital letters behind their name has said that it's not a true thing, and so therefore it's not a true thing. But Jesus says, the sign of Jonah, all you're going to get from me is the sign of Jonah. Now Matthew says, the resurrection. And I think that's the big, big sign of Jonah. But that's not what Luke highlights. He says, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. What, what was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet. And Jonah was called by God and used by God to take a message of impending judgment to a people who, who didn't think they needed to do anything because they were perfectly satisfied with the way they were living. The Assyrians, whose capital was in uh, Nineveh, were a wicked, wicked people. We think the Babylonians were bad. The Assyrians were really bad. You absolutely did not want to get conquered by the Assyrians. Because when they came into town, they would use diabolical ways of killing folks and keeping only what was going to benefit them. It was gross. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. It was frightening. You didn't want to be on the, on the, the track of the Assyrians. That's why when Jonah went, he really, well, say, when Jonah didn't go, reason he didn't want to go is because he thought judgment on Nineveh? <laughs> Excellent. They deserve that. I ain't going there. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm getting on a boat going the other way. Come on, God, bring the rain. Fire, brimstone, all of it. Let it out. God's like, no, that's not what I said. I said to take the message of repentance to them. They weren't expecting a message of repentance. They didn't think they needed to repent. Yet when Jonah showed up on the scene and went and did what God told him to do, the Ninevites heard the message of a foreign god from a foreign prophet. And you know what they did? They, dra they drug off their clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repented deeply. And God withheld his judgment. That's why Jonah went up on the hill and pouted. I was looking forward to seeing them burn. I don't want them to repent. And it kind of leaves it right there. I think God did a, a neat thing leaving it right there because how many of us would sure love to see God judge some folks and thinking about repent? Oh, man, what are the, do we want them to repent? Yes. Why? Because the message is for them. Jesus says, the sign you're getting is like the sign of Noah, Jonah showing up to bring a message of coming judgment, but repentance and the ability to be made right with God through repentance. The message of the kingdom is what Jesus was preaching. He's like, that's the sign you're going to get. And then Matthew says, and the three days and the three days and going to resurrect. And that's coming with it. 
But he goes on again and he says, verse 31, the queen of the south, queen of Sheba. You find this in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. It tells us that, that the queen of Sheba, about a thousand miles south of Jerusalem, came to see Solomon. Now, our family got to go up to Georgia. Rhett wasn't able to get off work to, to come down like he normally does. And we said, you know what? Let's just go see him. I'm glad we did. Uh, I, I, you know, I love being there. I don't like going there. Bucky's makes it nice halfway. But other than that, I don't like going. And we're in an automobile on a highway, and we're only going a few hundred miles. This woman was a thousand miles away over rough terrain, much of which I'm sure the Hernandez have even traveled over. And she was so curious about the wisdom of this king in Israel. She was so baffled by what she had heard about his, his majesty and his riches and how this God had blessed him that she traveled all the way. Now, you read 1 Kings 10, you, you don't go away from there thinking, well, she came, she trusted, you know, God is her. It's hard to tell, but here's what did happen. She got to town, she saw Solomon, she heard him, she asked every question she could think, and at every turn, Solomon was able to give her an answer to her question because of the wisdom that had been granted him by God. And the Queen of Sheba was just like, I just can't believe this guy. It is amazing. She looks around at his servants, she's like, you people ought to be thrilled to have a king like this. You folks ought to be just beside yourselves to be the people of such an amazing God who has shown favor on you through this one. We read that in 1 Kings and we go, okay, so she just, she just stated the obvious, went back to, to Sheba, went back to the south. But it looks, at he, it looks here like that faith she had in that God actually brought her into right relationship. I don't know if she went back home and told everybody about the God of Israel, but it seems as though she was impacted uh, in her soul by her faith because it says, look here, the queen of the you people are so wicked. You're looking for a sign, and you know all of these signs, and you see all these things that I'm doing. You know what God had promised. You know what he says is about to come. And now I'm showing you these things, and you guys are just rebellious in your refusal to believe. Everywhere I turn, they refuse to believe. Here and there, some do. But by comparison, far more rejected than believed. You people have so much evidence and you refuse. But this queen of Sheba, she didn't know anything about the God of Israel. And yet she's going to stand up in that day of judgment with the men of this generation. She's going to condemn you. She's going to look at you and say, I can't believe that you continue and refuse to, to believe. You have so much evidence. You have so much knowledge. You have so much that you can put your finger on and yet you turn your head. I cannot believe that you're that stubborn. And you know what the queen of Sheba was? A Gentile who had the ability to hear and respond to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a way that the children of Jacob were refusing to do. He said not only her, but uh, 
but also the men of Nineveh. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up there. Verse number 31. The judgment on men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What's greater than Solomon? Yeah, but Solomon had stuff. Who's greater? Jesus. Solomon had like thrones and money and, and Solomon had all kinds of servants that would do anything he had. Who was greater? Jesus. Solomon had wives. Who was smarter? Jesus. Something. No, no, no. Y'all took that away. I didn't wasn't intended. I said wives. Love you, honey. I wouldn't trade you for the world. I wouldn't. He had hundreds of them. Dummy, dummy, dummy. Who's greater? Jesus. It's like you, you, you got all beside yourself about this. He, yeah, one of mine. But someone greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh, they're going to rise up in judgment. And what are they also? Gentiles. A bunch of wicked, awful, awful, awful people. These Assyrians. Living in Nineveh are going to rise up on that day of judgment. Folks that could have cared less about the God of Israel. But when his representative showed up and snapped his fingers and said, Y'all listen, God said you got 40 days. Either you repent or you're done for. And they said, Okay, how do we repent? What does that look like? And they obeyed. Those folks are going to stand up and they're going to look at you and they're going to cluck their cheeks and go, you guys are nuts. We didn't know anything about him, but we heard the message of the prophet. We obeyed and God delivered us. You know all, you know all this about him? You're expecting these things from him? He's made these promises and he's given you markers to know when these promises are being fulfilled. And now they're being fulfilled in your presence. And you still don't believe you people are nuts. Because they repented at the preaching of Noah. And behold, something greater than Noah is here. I mean, Jesus is not, he's not sugarcoating what their wickedness is. Their wickedness is refusing to believe the word of God. They don't want to lose power. They don't want to lose position. These authorities, these leaders, they don't want to jeopardize their own incomes and the places that they are enjoying in society. And so therefore, they're refusing the thing that they all claim to be waiting for, that they all claim to be celebrating. They're refusing Jesus gives an illustration here about a lamp. He identified this illustration in chapter number 8 as he was sending out his messengers in, into, the, into the villages to take the message of the kingdom out. He talked about them being a light that needs to be held forth so that, that those that are in darkness can see. And now Jesus turns to this illustration again. It seems to be something that he goes to constantly. He says, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, 
but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus' illustration is, it's a kindergarten illustration. Who, Who takes a lamp and then hides it so that the light can't be seen? Y'all know that I want you to put your finger up, right? You're right. Chad's on it, right? This little finger. Hide it under a bushel. What? I'm going to let it shine. Right. You guys. You actually did better than the teenagers do, but it's okay. She's like, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. Who would do that? The point of the light, the point of the lamp is to give out light because it's dark and without the light, you cannot see. And if you cannot see, then you are going to fall. You're going to stub your toe. You're going to hurt yourself groping around in the dark. What you need is some light. Jesus continues, your eye, talking about your eyes, your eye is the lamp of your body. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying you have light in your eye, even though we say there's a twinkle in your eye, but you know that your eye is not the source of a light, correct? You know that your eyes do not produce light. But what Jesus is saying is, is like windows in a home, your eyes are what allow light in. You see, if I were to take and close my eyes and put a blindfold on, I wouldn't be able to tell you whether or not the light switch is on or off because my eyes are, they're hindered. If my eye is blocked, if my eye is is covered, then I'm not affected by the light. It can come on, off and on. I never know the difference. So what Jesus is saying is, is that your eyes are, are like the windows of a home. They're like the receptacles of light that allow you to see. When your eye is healthy, you have healthy eyes then your whole body is full of light. When your eyes are healthy, when the light is turned on, then the the light comes into your eyes and it allows you to see what is being illuminated around you. And you can walk around things and you're safe and you can move about successfully because the light is on. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. When you're blind, you can't see the things around you. I find it interesting, don't you, that one of the markers of the Messiah was that he was going about giving sight to the blind. You think about those two guys that were on the way and Jesus was traveling through and, and they, were, they were going... Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And they just kept crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And everybody's going, y'all be quiet, bunch of bums, you crippled guys. Please be quiet. You're making a ruckus. The Lord's coming through. And they wouldn't stop. They wouldn't relent. They just kept calling out. And Jesus stops. And he's like, hey, uh, 
What you guys want? And they go, that we might could see. Jesus healed them and they could see. Can you imagine what that might would be like? I, I, know, I know Chad shared with us that, uh, that, that he doesn't see color uh, as uh, like other folks see color. And I can remember a few years back that his family bought him some glasses. And they, they filmed it on Facebook and it was online. It, I'm telling you, if you didn't see it at the time, it'd make you cry. Because he comes out of the house with those glasses on that allowed him just to see color. And he was overwhelmed. You know, he's just like, wow. I never realized that the, the colors were this brilliant, this spectacular. How much more for someone who's incapable of seeing to at the hand of the master be immediately able to see what's around. You find it in the, in the gospels all the time. They're amazed. They're excited. They're so thrilled because now I can see before I was blind But now I see. Jesus says, when your eye is bad, when when the window of your soul is covered. Ever seen anybody that that doesn't like their home to get too much sunlight? Well, they'll they'll take and they'll tape newspaper. I've seen them tape tinfoil, you know, keep it cool in the house. We'll put, you know, shades up. We'll pull the, what we like is the the light canceling shades, you know, because when it's time to sleep, it's not a time for light. And you like the light stay outside and the dark inside. And so we cover over. Jesus says, when your eye is bad, when, when, when you're unhealthy in the way you see what you see, then your whole body is full of darkness. Like someone who is blind is completely affected because they can't see. Jesus says, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. And here's where he kind of takes the illustration and he turns it towards those who think they see most clearly. Those who knew the scriptures, those who anticipated Messiah most, those who could memorize and quote passage after passage after passage and tell you what it means because they'd spent years and years in religious education. They were the ones who thought they saw correctly and that Jesus was being fueled by Satan. Jesus says, be careful lest what you think is sight is actually darkness. Because it's not about what they see with their natural eye. Jesus is addressing how they see what they see with their natural eye. And there were a few in the crowd, and there were growing in number More that were saying, I think that what I see is Messiah. I think what I'm hearing is the words from God. I think what I'm hearing is that there's an invitation for those to follow and believe and be on the side of the one we've been looking for. But to embrace that way was to go contrary to the leaders of their nation. And Jesus says, you need to be careful about how you see what you see. 
to embrace Jesus is to walk in the light. To reject Jesus is to choose darkness and remain blinded. Israel and the world that we live in doesn't have a light problem, to quote a couple of the authors I read behind. What they have is a sight problem. It's not that there is no light. God has turned on the light. God has not hidden the light. There's more than enough light illuminating the truth. The issue is, what will you do with what has been revealed? How will you see what the light has revealed? How will you respond to what the light is showing you and I through the Word of God. I'm going to read you a few scriptures and we'll close. Jesus is not done. He's going to go to a Pharisee's house in the next section and it's going to get even a little bit more pointed. But John tells us in his gospel, John 1, verses 1 through 5 tells us, In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word, class? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God And the Word was God. You read the New World Translation put out by the Watchtower Society. And it will tell you that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was a God. You know why? Because Watchtower refuses to embrace God the Son eternally equal with the Father and the Spirit who put on flesh. And so, therefore, the watchtower is wrong, and it's darkness. But we love them. We're not mean to them because we want to introduce them to truth. But the Word was in the beginning with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Who? The Word. Who? Jesus And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Who is life in? Jesus. And the life was the light of men. It's no coincidence that the name of the ministry, William and Larissa Hernandez, is Healing Lamp Light Ministries. Why? Because That light is the only thing that brings about true illumination. That brings about, when we respond, true and actual and complete healing by faith. The light shines in darkness, verse 5 says, and the darkness was not overcome by it. Why? Because ain't nothing dark in this world that can overcome The light that is our Savior. The light has been turned on and the darkness could not stop it. Jump forward to verse 9, chapter 1 of John. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world. Who? The light. Who? The Word. Who? Jesus. The light. He was in the world. The world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to his own and his own people 
did not receive him. Why? They were blind by choice, refusing to believe. Love verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, and there, there were many, not nearly as many as the crowds who rejected, but there were many who did. But to all who did receive him, by faith, believing, embracing the light, trusting his word, following him, and taking on his purpose, well, he gave the right to them to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What, what do I got to do, Jesus? He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, how am I going to do that, Jesus? Well, you're going to do that by believing. Not born of water, but of spirit. By faith. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. This is the judgment, what is. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works for evil, and they would rather hold on to their evil works than to embrace what the light has revealed. For everyone who does wicked things, well, they hate the light. You're an evil and wicked generation. How can you say that? Because everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Whoever comes to the light has his wickedness refit. Has his evil forgiven and transformed into something usable by God and beautiful to him. By coming to the light, believing. John eight twelve says, and again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? Is anybody else the light of the world? One option, one light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, y'all rejecting. You're seeing the only thing that can bring you forgiveness. And you're choosing to be blind. Some principles and application. First, the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. It was enough for that four-year-old little boy. And you know what? Jesus didn't die for an octopus. He died for you. And the gospel is enough. So share it boldly. Yeah, but... But Charlie, if, you know, if Jesus really did those things, what I need for God to do is to do this in my life, and then I'll know that he is real. Uh, gospel's enough. Resurrection, that's enough. No, no, no little silly trick we're wanting Jesus to do will ever match the glorious resurrection from the dead. That's plenty. Well, if I just knew more about... No, listen, he's shown us all. Is there more to God than we find between these pages? Oh my goodness. 
John said, if, if, if we even tried to write the things that, that Jesus did, the whole world couldn't contain the books. There's got to be way more about God than we know. But this is enough. He, not, he don't need to show us anything else. The gospel is enough. Share it. Share it boldly. Well, what if they reject? Keep sharing it. Just keep sharing it. They were rejecting him. And what did he do? Kept sharing. Kept sharing. Kept sharing. Number two. Remember, believers walk by faith in Jesus, not by circumstances or happenings. Be careful that you're not walking by God. I want to follow you, but what I need for you to do is if you'll, if you'll make my boss not show up tomorrow and leave the stuff in that corner, well, then I know that you won't. Don't do that. Walk by faith in Jesus. You know, let, let Gideon throw out the fleece. And let's read about it and let's be excited about the 300 or so that routed the enemy. Let, let's don't be throwing out towels in the yard wanting God to put dew on it or not. We walk by faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. The one who got up from the dead, that's enough. By faith, follow him. And then lastly, Christians, we got to reject these fashionable spiritual blindfolds. You know, when the the COVID mask came out, you know, they went from being like blue and white to fashionable. You could get them in your team colors. You could get them blinged out with with, uh, bedazzled and all that kind of stuff, you know? The fashionable spiritual blindfolds that Christians will put on and think are acceptable but simply put us back in blindness when we were walking in the light. Here's some of them. It's a blindfold that looks like this. Well, Christianity is about what I believe, not what I do. That'll blind you. It's something like, things are going well in my life, so that means that all things are good with me and God. Things may be going great in your life, and you could be far away from Him. And the opposite's true. Your life could be falling apart, and God could be using you in ways you never imagined. Be careful of that blindfold. Here's one. Well, you know, some things right now are just a little bit more important than my walk with Jesus. I know my walk with Jesus is important, but I got to get some things done right now because there's some things that are more important. It looks good, but it's a blindfold, and it brings you back into darkness. Oh, here's a good one. This one's pretty. We probably all have one of these. You ready? A little bit of sin in my life is not so bad. That's a blindfold. You know what a little bit of sin always leads to? A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. Next thing you know, it's a lot. Here's a blindfold. Listen, once this season of my life is over, I'll get back on track with God. I've just got a lot of irons in the fire right now. Here's a big one. I can handle this on my own. You know what we do when we say that? We turn the light off. We can't do it alone. We've got to have him and we've got to have one another. And here's the last one. I know what the Bible says, but there are other truths out there too. That's, a, that's one that you might not would think you could wear, but you hang out with the folks in this culture enough. You try, you try to be too close buddy-buddy with this culture 
And you'll start saying that and thinking that too. Well, I do believe that the Bible is the biggest truth, but there are other truths. Look, any truth that can't filter through God's Word is not true. That doesn't mean that God's Word teaches all truth. You don't find anything in here about gravity. You'll find out about those that defy it. And if, if gravity says everything falls, everything goes up, must come down, then that's true. Except when God says it don't come down, well, then God's Word's true, right? So we got to be careful. We don't put the fashionable blindfolds. Got to keep our focus on the light. We got to keep our mind and our heart in the game. We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And don't fear. Just keep pointing others toward the truth. Amen? Let's stand together. We'll pray. We'll go. HLgiving.com is where you can do it. We're going to be uh, taking our normal offerings, so our, our normal individuals, which I don't know that normal would be the right word for Al. It, would it normal? It's, Al's, he's, a, he, he's better than normal. And so Stephen, better than normal. But when we get done praying, then, then you make sure that you give according to what God has led you to do. Nicholas, how about you do me a favor? You go back there and grab a plate and stand right back there in the middle. That's, that's if you aren't phone savvy and you say, can I just write a check? Yeah, write it to the church. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, back up. Write it to, um, what, Healing Lamplight? HLP. If you're going to write a check, make it out to HLP. You know, the cash, you don't have to make that out to anybody. It just goes in that. And let's, let's bless this family as they continue to share. And then let's pray determined that we're going to do the same. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the opportunity to be together, circled up around him. And, and guys, it's what he said to, to those refusers to believe, it's, it's a hard word to us as well. God, I pray that you will help us to not be drawn into the, the temptation to want more of a sign than what you've already shown. Give us the courage to walk by faith in what's already been done, what's already been revealed. God, I pray that you will help us to, to keep our eyes focused on the light. I pray that you'll keep us um, with a desire to have the light to evaluate everything around us, our decisions, our plans, our, our everything, and that we would allow the light to show us the way. We thank you for the light. We thank you for your son. God, we thank you that he died in our place for our sin, was buried and rose again victorious to guarantee salvation to all who will by faith believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. I pray that you'll give those who may not yet be your children the courage to let go of anything that may be hindering them so that they might embrace Jesus wholly and completely. So that they too might be born into that family by you. Now, Father, we ask that you'll use us in whatever way you see fit this week. We thank you for the opportunities that you will give us. Help us to take advantage of everyone that you show us. We love you and we thank you for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.